0: In 1970, shows that were country-themed or appealed to a rural audience were still a constant part of the network television landscape. You had country-themed shows like The Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Mayberry RFD, Hee Haw, The Virginian, and Lassie. And shows that were popular in rural households like The Andy Williams Show, The Lawrence Welk Show, The Jim Neighbors Hour, and Family Affair. Then, in 1971, they were all gone. And in some cases... Ratings had nothing to do with it. My name is Dan Delgado, and today we're going to take a look at what became known as the Rural Purge. Welcome to the industry. It was the year CBS cancels everything with a tree in it, even Lassie. That's the oft-recited quote from Green Acres actor Pat Buttram that will usually pop up in any article or podcast regarding The Rural Purge. But The Rural Purge wasn't simply about cancelling shows with a rural theme. It was the shows that also appealed to an older audience. Now, while at the end of 1971 is generally considered the year of The Purge, CBS had begun this process actually the year before when it canceled a couple of older-skewing, long-running shows like The Red Skelton Show and The Jackie Gleason Show as well as the rural-themed Petticoat Junction. The television legend goes that CBS no longer wanted to cater to the flyover states and in looking for a more diverse audience, canceled every rural show even though most of these shows were still doing well in the ratings this was not exactly the case. For example, the Beverly Hillbillies is often cited as an example of this, a healthy show that was still doing very well in the ratings, but by that point, the show was nine years old when it was canceled and had fallen out of the top 30. So why did the role purge happen? As it turns out, there was more than just one reason. One of the elements that led to the purge was the change that was going on within the United States itself. With civil rights issues and the Vietnam War going on in the late 60s and the early 1970s, the mood of the country had changed.
1: In the late 60s, when the riots and the Vietnam was at its height and all that, a lot of people were saying, this has no relevance. It's a, This is almost comically disassociated from what's going on in the real world.
0: Now that's Telly Davidson, an author who has written extensively about television history. So it should not be understated that the changing times were a big part of the decision for the rural purge. However, let's get back to that original idea. You know, the whole flyover states thing. So let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go back before the rural purge happened. Let's go back before we got to this point with this many rural shows on television. And how did we get there? Before... CBS was comically derided as the country broadcasting system. Let's go back to the 1950s.
1: CBS was, uh, in many ways, the most sophisticated of the three networks. It was the Tiffany Network, and it was, it, you know, it was the MGM sort of of, of TV network. And uh, Paley very much patterned himself after Louis V. Mayer.
0: That's William Paley, head of CBS at the time.
1: Oh, you know, only the best the biggest stars, the highest quality, you know, get feature film stars who are on the way down, get the top comics, get, you know, the top Walter Winchell, Ed Sullivan, the top columnists and so on. And uh, you, ha- you that was re- reflected uh, when, in the early days when you had Alfred Hitchcock, you had Playhouse 90, you had the, you know, absolute numero uno comedies like Honeymooners and I Love Lucy, which were urban. You know, Lucy was married to a Latino man. They were Mm -hmm. both living in New York. Uh, Jackie Gleason's show was more downscale, but it was, you know, in a New York apartment and all that. And then when TV started penetrating into the Midwest, and into the South, because it was originally just in New York and California and in the major, major, you know, East Coast and West Coast cities. The The uh, chairman of CBS at that time was a man named James Aubrey, and he was a real SOB. He was the role model for J.R. Ewing, but he said that we have this Midwestern and Southern audience and we're programming all of these high end, sophisticated uh, New York shows. And that was sort of also a kind of a code word for Jewish and for white ethnic, for Italian and Irish and Polish and such. And we don't have anything that really reflects farm culture, Midwestern culture, Southern culture. And so he put on Beverly Hillbillies and Andy Griffiths show, and they just broke the needle with the ratings. And and Gunsmoke was already going, which was a very sophisticated Western for its time. And suddenly you had all of these country and rural-oriented shows. You had Green Acres and Petticoat Junction and Gomer Pyle, uh, Jim Neighbors show. And, and they all served a purpose. And they were all very funny and very escapist.
0: As I said earlier, most of the show's purge were not necessarily ratings winners at the time they were killed off. However, there are a few exceptions over on NBC, which did some purging of its own. Granted, not to the level of CBS, but I want you to consider the case of the TV series The Men from Shiloh. Now, this show began life as a long-running western called The Virginian. And The Virginian was in the Nielsen top 20 for six straight seasons. But then, in season 8, it slipped out of the top 30, And, in order to save the show from cancellation, it was reworked. And reworked extensively. A new title, new characters, and a new spaghetti western-style theme song by famed Italian composer Ennio Morricone were among the changes made to keep the show alive. It seemingly worked. While the Virginian had finished out of the top 30 in its eighth season, the men from Shiloh, on the other hand, had placed an impressive 18th overall for the 1970-71 season. Not that it mattered. Even after reinventing itself in an attempt to appeal to a younger audience and jumping up in the ratings, it still fell victim to the purge. And while I said before that a lot of the shows that were lost in The Purge were older and not really doing as well as they once did, if you were looking for an example of an unjust cancellation, well, this is definitely one of them. And while, yes, the mood of the country was changing and that was a big reason for The Purge, another is a word you hear about a lot these days when it comes to television audiences. And that word is demographics.
1: That was the birth of demographics as opposed to just a broad audience. Up until 69, 70, 71, whoever had the number one and the number two show in a time slot was renewed, and whoever had the number three show was gone. It was just as simple as that. And then they started thinking about, well, what kind of people, what kind of audience does this appeal to? Who's watching rather than just how many is watching?
0: However, there's still one other reason that led to the rule purge, and it's generally the one that's least talked about as well.
1: Probably the biggest or the most important regulation in films or television: the regulation passed in 1970 called prime time access, which turned the seven o'clock and seven thirty time period back to the local affiliate stations and required that they be programmed with first run either local shows or made for syndication shows unless it was news or sports from Monday to Saturday and ABC was in favor of access, because they were way, way, way behind, but NBC and CBS fought a tooth and nail, because they were losing a half hour, three hours of programming, a half hour of programming each night at 7.30, Monday through Saturday, and the 7 o'clock slot, which was used for the nightly news, was they could still use it for news, but a lot of the affiliates were already, had demanded that the news be telecast at 6.30 so that they could put on either a local show or a local newscast then with that as the lead-in. And so they were in panic city that they were going to lose three hours of programming no matter what, whether they, in addition to the usual coming and going of shows. And so that really accelerated the trend of mass wholesale cancellation.
0: So, in a sense, CBS could go ahead and say, "Listen, it wasn't our idea to cancel Green Acres and Beverly Hillbillies and Mayberry R.F.D. and hee Haw and Lassie and Family Affair and Hogan's Heroes and The Jim Neighbors Hour and The Lawrence Welk Show and The Governor and J.J." But the government made us do it, and they'd be partially right. So, where does this primetime access rule come from, anyway? In 1965, the government agency, the Federal Communications Commission, also known as the FCC, they began an investigation into network television and how their programming was dominating the primetime hours. In 1970, they came forward with their conclusion. They concluded, hey, the networks, you have a virtual monopoly on primetime TV, and you have to give some of that time back to your affiliates, whether they wanted it or not. This was the primetime access rule. The rule stated that a network may only have three hours of network programming during primetime hours. So, for example, the Eastern Time Zone, that would be between 8 p.m. to 11. Prior to that, primetime had started at 7.30 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Now it was going to start at 8 p.m. So this meant that three hours of network programming was going to be cut regardless as a government-mandated rule but the american television watching public wasn't just going to take the cancellation of their favorite shows lying down were they there must have been some sort of backlash right
1: yes i think so i there was one there was one cartoon which showed the american gothic couple and they both had tears coming down their eyes and they said something like Welk's not on Saturday, Sullivan isn't on Sunday, Mayberry RFD's not on Monday. It's like there it isn't television anymore, or <laughs> something like that. And and uh, Welk and Sullivan, which had large older and a large rural audience, but certainly a significant audience in the big cities too. They by far, were the most controversial cancellations in 71. I mean, they just got reams of, of telegrams and telephone calls and all that on those two. I think, you know, Green Acres and Beverly Hillbillies and Mayberry R.F.D. had run for such a long time. Well, Sullivan ran even longer, but they were sort of like institutions by that point. But they were... That the people thought, you know, well, these shows were going to go sooner or later. But there was a... That there definitely was a uh, backlash it did come across as a sort of a slap in the face and an insult and as kind of an elitist kind
0: of move perhaps the biggest response came from the cancellation of hee-haw now for those of you unfamiliar with hee-haw please allow me to explain hee-haw was a variety show on cbs that ran from 1968 until it was purged in 1971 started out as a one-time special that was successful enough to warrant it to becoming a regular show. And as far as rural shows went, well, it didn't get any more rural than hee Hee Haw. Hee Haw! Hee Haw! Welcome to Hee Haw! The show consisted of corny comedy sketches with names like Lulu's Truck Stop, Colonel Daddy's Daughter, The Moonshiners, and Pickin' and Grinnin'. which features the show's hosts Roy Clark and Buck Owens playing dueling banjo and guitar in between cracking corny jokes and one-liners. Hee Haw would also feature performances by the top country music stars at the time. And the show did well in the ratings, finishing at number 20 in its first season, a season in which it shared time with the Glen Campbell Good Time Hour, and it improved in its second season, ticking upward to number 16, when it was canceled in 1971. Hee Haw host Roy Clark released a song a year later in response to the role purge called the Lawrence Well Hee Haw Counter-Revolution Polka. Yes, that's its title, which reached up to number nine on the Billboard country music charts that year.
1: The big wheels at the network started spinning The verdict was that Hee Haw had to go Cause city slickers don't believe in grinning. And who the heck needs jokes and Kokomo? They cancelled all the singing and the picking. But the stubborn little donkey wouldn't leave. And that little fella's still alive and kicking. And he hauled
0: Hee Haw! and the other rural purge casualty that's in the song title, The Lawrence Welk Show, would both live on in first-run syndication. In fact, Hee Haw would last for another 20 years after being purged. Over the next couple of seasons, the networks kept on purging, and the television landscape began to change from rural to more urban. The last show considered to be a part of the rural purge was Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke was the western that had been on television for 20 years, the longest-running primetime show in network history, and in its final season finished a respectable number 28 in the Nielsen ratings. When it was canceled, star James Arnest stated that the cancellation came as a shock to the entire cast and crew, who had expected to go on for another two to three years. How did they find out that they had been canceled after 20 years of service to CBS? They read about it in The Hollywood Reporter. So in the end, was it all worth it? You had a country going through a change, networks looking at demographics for the first time, and the primetime access rule all seemingly making it a justifiable cause. So I have one question left to ask. Was the rural purge in which CBS and, to a lesser extent, NBC systematically canceled shows that appealed to a rural or an older audience a good thing or a bad thing?
1: It was good in that the shows that went on in their wake were very. I mean, it, it, do, do I, if I had a choice of watching Rockford Files or MASH or All in the Family or Maud versus Hillbillies and Green Acres and even Andy Griffith, I think I would choose the first group. I think I would choose the sort of the post purge shows. Some of it was kind of just dirty for the sake of dirty, but you had the you, you had the Jiggle era that came after, which was the antithesis of the rural purge, back when you had <laughs> Charlie's Angels and when Dallas was starting and Three's Company and all that, which were fine shows. They were they were funny and they were dramatic for their time and interesting. But there was they were certainly in a way, way different wheelhouse than the rural shows were, especially the sitcoms. it it was good in that respect but it was bad in that it's in that it set a precedent and of letting people show a sort of a hostility and a contempt for an audience you know i think that this when you have a mass medium like movies or television that you have a responsibility to show, to be inclusive to show everyone. And that means racially inclusive, that means sexual preference and with equal rights for women, but it also means rural and urban. And it also, it means showing the whole spectrum of this beautiful, you know, patchwork quilt of America. And when you say, you know, well, we just don't want to do that, or these people are all bunch of this 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 and this and all that it's sort of like the basket of deplorables kind of a thing that's just not cool when when you take a, a contemptuous attitude to someone who actually comes and wants to be entertained and and to watch shows so it was it was good and bad
0: in just a few years cbs had overhauled their lineup Westerns had been replaced by detective shows like Kojak, Cannon, and Hawaii 5 And sitcoms like All in the Family, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Maude, MASH, and The Bob Newhart Show had replaced their rule sitcoms of the 1960s. And by the 1973-74 season, after purging almost all of their rule-based shows, CBS would dominate the ratings, having nine out of the top ten shows. Special thanks to author Telly Davidson for speaking with me about The Rural Purge and helping to shed some light on this issue. He has a couple of books available about television. Which ones, you ask?
1: I have TV's Grooviest Variety Shows, which is out, and they're both out and available on Amazon.com. And my newest book is called Culture War, which is published by McFarland. It's also on Amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com and uh, it's a book uh, looking back at the uh, politics and the pop culture including television and film in a big way of the 1990s and how we uh, got to where we are today the reality TV, independent film uh, you know, the, the birth of the internet and cable and scandals and all that good stuff
0: This episode of The Industry was written, edited, and hosted by me, Dan Delgado. Music in today's show was provided by Jam Morgan and Roy Clark. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend or six and let them know The Industry is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We'll be back again next week with another story about the things that went on in the industry. Good night.
1: flickers don't believe in grinning and who the heck needs jokes and Kokomo